Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. I want to remind everyone listening that if you go to heyhumanpodcast.com, aside from getting all the great links from every episode and learning about the people who are on the show, um, there's also an Amazon portal on the homepage. And if you click on that uh, and you do your Amazon shopping, just like you normally would, it helps support Hey Human Podcast. So I would greatly appreciate that. If you're going to be doing Amazon shopping anyway, please do so through the Hey Human Amazon link uh, through the portal there on that on that homepage of heyhumanpodcast.com. Social media, Instagram and Facebook, uh, you can find Hey Human Podcast just by doing that. Facebook.com slash heyhumanpodcast, Instagram.com slash Hey Human Podcast, and I also have a personal Instagram, which is Susan Ruthism, S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M, and I'm on Twitter, Susan Ruthism there as well, and uh, please feel free to to follow and like and do all those things that people do on the social medias, Um, and if you have a chance, please go rate and review Hey Human Podcast on iTunes or on your iOS and or Android podcast app. All the reviews and ratings really, really help, uh, and I would also appreciate that too. So definitely rate and review if you get the moment. And uh, also, if you're into music, you can find my music on iTunes. That's right. I am a professional songwriter as well as a podcaster, and I'm also a performing songwriter, and I have put out four records on iTunes. So Go go check that out as well. It's under Susan Ruth. And speaking of music, for those of you listening who live in New York, I'll be playing a show at the Bitter End on January 24th, uh, and I'm very excited about that. It's at 6 p.m., and I'll be joined by Nikki Fernandez and Brittany Black, and we're going to be doing an in-the-round style, meaning all three of us are going to perform our songs individually, but taking turns with everybody up on stage. So if you're in the New York area, come to The Bitter End on January 24th, 6 p.m. Check out the show. It'll be fun. If you happen to come to the show, please come up and say hi and let me know that you found out about it on Hey Human. That that would give me a kick. Uh, Also, uh, I don't want to forget to say this because I forgot to last week. My dad has a book that he's written. Um, It's called Margaret, Book One. Outrageous Fortune, under the name Martin March, M-A-R-C-H, and it's a great read. I'm not just saying that because he's my dad. Um, He's got a couple reviews up there from people that aren't his daughter (laughs) that also say what a great book it is. So if you like, it's historical fiction. Um, It's about this woman, Margaret, who, uh, because of a series of unfortunate events, uh, ends up uh, in a life as a pirate, a lady pirate, and just all her adventures and stuff. So anyway, if that sounds like something that intrigues you, please go to Amazon and, and get that, because uh, that would make my dad extraordinarily happy. He would be very tickled. Okay, so that's all the businessy stuff. I think I've covered all that. Um, let's get down to the episode, uh, which is... Um, so I recorded this episode... A while back, in fact, I I would venture to say it's been at least six months since 
this person and I had our conversation. Uh, I learned of Shalise Finnicum Fitch through my friend Matt, and he and I were having dinner one night, and he said, hey, I have a person that you might be interested in talking with, and her father was killed in a standoff uh, with the FBI and the Oregon State Police, in January of 2016 and I said well what happened and he said well it's a very complicated story that begins with a couple other families the Hammonds and the Bundys and some of you listening may actually know about all of this but uh, it involves the Bureau of Land Management it involves ranching rights grazing rights um, there's there's all sorts of stuff and I encourage you to read up on it um, after listening to the conversation that Shalise and I had about her father's death. Um, it's a very intense story. It's an important story. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that Matt told me about it. Um, it's, <laughs> you're gonna hear just everything. And uh, again, I encourage you to go and research it on your own as well, because I think that's super important. I've put a ton of links on Hey Human Podcast com on the links page um, to help with that but you know I encourage you to go down your own rabbit holes as well I want to bring up the fact that uh, there have been indictments against the FBI for wrongdoing uh, regarding Lavoy Finnicum's death and um, there have been people incarcerated wrongfully under the guise of the Patriot Act um, I mean, there's this story is so crazy. Um, Lavoie Finnicum, before he died, wrote a book. Uh, it's called Only by Blood and Suffering. And it's a work of fiction, but uh, one could say it turned out to be pretty much nonfiction. Um, there's a quote in the book, Majority rule must stop at our unalienable rights. Without that, Pure democratic rule is a terrible thing. It's like two wolves and a lamb voting to see what's for dinner. And it was that line that um, I chose to use as the title of this episode, Two Wolves and a Lamb. Um, so uh, really, I'm going to let Shalise tell her story. And uh, thanks for listening. And uh, happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. And Happy Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and, you know, whatever it is you believe in or don't believe in, for that matter. Um, happy Spock Day. <laughs> whatever it is, uh, respect and love and uh, honor and hope and all the good things that the world is, I wish that for you. And thank you for listening. And here we go. Hi, How are you? Welcome Great. to Hey Human Podcast. Well, thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Um, I've, I've read a bunch about your dad is, uh, was Lavoie Finnicum, uh, a rancher, and he was uh, killed on January 26, 2016. And uh, I didn't really know a lot about his story or the story surrounding everything until a friend of mine, Matt, uh, who's a, maybe a mutual friend of ours, I'm not sure how you know Matt, but um, told me about it and showed me a video from inside of your dad's vehicle the, the day that that happened. So then I started mm -hmm. digging in and looking at all the videos and, and reading a bunch of stuff and it's very intense. 
and sad and uh, avoidable, you know, on so many levels on the part of the government is, you know, this is my opinion. I'm not speaking for anyone else, but it's just after watching all that, it's hard to not say what, what the heck, you know? So just yeah. a little backstory. Your dad um, was on his way to speak at a conference. He was invited by the sheriff of a neighboring county, Glenn, Glenn Palmer, invited your dad and some others to come talk about what was going on what what their concerns were about land rights and all that but just for the listeners um can you kind of go back a little bit and this this was what i would call a snowball story it started with a, a family the hammonds and then the bundy family got involved and then your family got involved so let's go back and maybe give a um, i'm sure you've told the story a billion times but um if you could kind of just give everybody a some knowledge on it yeah so it kind of started back um with the Bundy standoff in 2014. And that's when my dad actually met Clive and Bundy and his sons was back then. Um, my dad, had he had been up in a conference and he had heard through the grapevine that something was happening. And my dad's like, you know, I need to go meet this man and see what's, what's going on. Um, so he goes down, meets Cliven. Cliven explains to him, you know, his stand on the Constitution. And... You know, my dad just felt like he was a good man, and he was standing for what was right. And so my dad rode with them. Um, and that day, the, the government stood down, and um, everyone kind of did a little hoorah. The West has been won again. And we all went home. Uh, well... And really, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. So really quickly, what was going on was... Uh, the Hammonds had have land that they've ranched for a very long time, and so if you read a lot of the articles, it says it's about grazing rights, but it's a little more complicated than that. Um, can you maybe explain to the listeners what what started the the dominoes? Um, it's kind of a lot of things. Like a lot of ranchers, it's their whole life stories for generations have been. You know, the BLN comes in and says, well, you can't do this. And it's like, then they have to go to court and fight it. And then like, and that is such a common story out West for ranchers. It's the BLM or the EPA or somebody comes in and says, well, you can't do it this way anymore. And it's like, well, I own the grass on this land. You know, you can't keep doing this to me because what they've done is pretty much made it almost impossible for them to make it a living to where they have to sell off and do something else. And to and, sell off the land because the government wants the land back. Mm-hmm. They want it to be basically no use. And the simple way of saying it is if you control the food or the land, you control the people. And so you're kind of doing two birds with one stone there. Um, so, you know, a couple years later, uh, my dad hears about the Hammonds up there in Oregon. And this Hammond family... They have been hassled by the BLM through, had to go through so many court cases for years. And um, they finally were found guilty on some, like, if you look at their story, it's pretty bogus charges. It's a crazy story. I read a bunch of, and I, and I encouraged my listeners to, to look up the Hammond family and the story. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a wild story. And also, I mean, just if you enjoy eating beef, 
don't just assume it magically appears on your plate. There are people that are, you know, growing your food and their story is significant. I mean, I think that's another lesson here too. Yeah, it's, I guess the common thing is like, um, I wish I could remember the quote, but basically it was during Germany where it's like they came for the Jews and I wasn't a Jew, so I didn't do anything. And then they came for the and then by the time it got to you, there was no one left to help you. Um, it, it was in Bonhoeffer's book, but it wasn't said by Bonhoeffer. Um, but so my dad hears about the Hammonds. They've already served time. They were tried as terrorists under the Arson Act. And these are like good community members. Um, the minimum sentencing for that is five years. But the judge was like, well, that's cruel and unusual. Because it's like a 70-year-old man, first of all. And yeah, so th- also that he was charged on... T- I, I'm just going to try and give some backstory as you go for people that don't know um, that he was charged under the Terrorism Act for arson because in, in ranching and in protecting the fields and such, there, you, you backburn. It's, it's a way to protect the land and, and grow uh, more grass that's healthier and more vibrant and better for the cattle and all that. And sometimes fires get a little bit out of control. That's understandable. Um, and so some of the, the land that was B, uh, uh, Bureau of Land Management land, BLM land, caught on fire. And so that was the end that the BLM used to, to arrest this rancher and his son, correct? Yeah, okay, sorry. So, they gave the older man four years, they gave the younger one a year. They served their time, went back to ranching, and, you know, then that judge went out, retired, a new judge comes in, and the new judge says, no, 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 you have to serve the full sentence. And so, re-sentences them. And a lot of people are like, well, that's double jeopardy, and they put it so finely to where it's not technically double jeopardy, and the way they've worded it is so that they can get away with it, I guess. But I mean, my so Ammon goes up to meet this this family because he's like, you know, I'll help you. The Bundys. I know this. this is the Bundys, right? Ammon Bundy. Bundy. Mm-hmm. So he goes up there because he watched a country come together to help his family, and he goes up there and he's like, you know, I'll help you guys. I'll help you. And when they started talking to him their family started getting threats from the government saying, you know, if you keep talking to him, we'll put your husband, which was the older gentleman, he's almost 80, we'll put him in a less than desirable prison, which is a death sentence for him. And they had threatened him so much to where they had lost all hope and they just wouldn't talk anymore. They threatened the Hammonds, you're saying? Yeah, Hammonds. Yeah. Yeah, they wanted not to talk to the Bundys. And... At first, my dad wasn't going to go up there because they had decided to go back in and serve the time. My dad's like, well, I can't, you know, I can stand up with you, in front of you, behind you, but I can't stand for you. And, but Ammon talked to him again and was like, LaVoy, I just feel like if we don't do anything, this will just happen to everyone. And so they decided to go up there and lay flowers, give, give Donna Hammond the flowers, which is the wife of the older gentleman. And my dad literally packed one set of clothes. He was just going to go up there. I think it's a almost a 20-hour drive up there to give her flowers. And they get up there, and Ammon's like, you know, I've been doing research. And a lot of the corruption that's been happening comes out of this Malher Wildlife Refuge place. And 
I think I think we need to go to stage a protest out there um, because they're like they had followed every av- like redress of grievance, every avenue they could, and they were basically laughed at. And so they're like, okay, we need media attention. So my dad's like, okay, you know, let me understand this first. And he explained it to him. My dad prayed about it. He's like, okay, let's go. And my dad says as they're getting up there, he felt like he was crossing the Rubicon. And do you know that term? Yes. Okay. So the term it means for my listeners, it means you are going into territory that you will never return from. Yeah. It's you either will win or you'll die trying pretty much. Um, so he went out there and they taught ranchers. My dad put all of them to work because he strongly believes idle hands is the devil's workshop. So he made all the boys that came out there go clean up the barn, you know, work. Everyone had jobs for putting on dinners and lunches. This was at the, all- was this at the refuge? This was at the refuge. And just so people understand as well, this isn't like going up to the refuge when it was, the wildlife refuge when it was spring and nice or summer and nice. This was the dead of winter. And no one was there, right? They And it's public land, so they actually, it's my understanding they had a right to be there in the first place, correct? Yeah, so um, there's a couple things you had to do, like change the mailing address that Ammon had done. So like legally... Like, they followed all the legality stuff from it, and which is why they were found not guilty in the end. And um, it's, it's, it's got to, you know, the point where ranchers were afraid to come, so they'd come at night to talk to my dad and the Bundys. Why were they afraid? Because they had been threatened by... Um, federal agents, local, and they were just afraid that if they stood up, then they would be targeted next after the Hammonds. And so eventually got to where a neighboring county was like, can you come teach our county? And like 300 people assembled to hear about this. And um, on their way there, they were pretty much ambushed. It was an ambush. There was informants in the car who were who set it all up. They took him. T- they t- um, stopped him in a no cell zone. In your so father's no- car, there were informants. No, in um, Ammons. Okay. And um, there was no cell phone service. There, like, they had been shot at on the first stop, and when they had. Like, try, they were yelling out, like, there's women and children in the car. And they were so, yelling, your father was yelling, we're going to the sheriff, we're going to the sheriff. Yeah, he said, if you want, you can talk to me at the sheriff over in the next county, you can follow us. And they told the women and the child to get out of the car, and my dad, you know, turned around, like, do you guys want to get out? And they were too scared, they didn't want to get out. You know, they'd already been shot at. Uh, understandably, they didn't want to get out. Well, not only that, but and, you can see in the video there's red dots on all of them as they're driving. Oh, yeah. They they have lasers. Like, the scope lasers from, like, ARs are on them. Yeah. And I'll post that video on my website, too, so that people can watch it and see for themselves. Okay. Um, and then, you know, so my dad decides... He, 
you know, they're like, it's 50 miles to the sheriff. If we can get there, we can get help. And so they take off and on like a blind curve, they set up a dead man's roadblock, which is illegal. The federal agents and the Oregon State Troopers. Yeah. And my dad, you can see him hit the brakes and swerve off into the snow to avoid hitting any of them. And immediately he jumps out of the car to draw fire away because their vehicle is already being shot at. And the FBI agent that is being indicted right now for covering up is because they lied and said that they hadn't shot at the vehicle prior when in fact they had. And so that's why he's on trial right now for covering up evidence. That's the W. Joseph Asada guy? Yes. Yes. And so, you know, he gets out there, hands in the air, you can see it. He's stumbling through snow. And when I was up in Oregon, I tried walking through that snow. It is, it, it is like up to your knees. And it is extremely hard to walk through because you've got layers that are frozen. So you'll be walking, think you have a short step, and then it'll crunch under you and you'll stumble. And it was like, I don't even know how my dad was able to do it in his little cowboy boots running out there. And they shot him three times in the back. And they say, well, he was reaching for a gun. He didn't have a gun in his hand. And my dad, he, we would have, you know, gotten in so much trouble if we put a gun in our pocket. Well, that just was part of, from all the videos I watched, that was really part of their their stance was nonviolence and, and, and doing everything by the book. They truly, by the letter of the law, they just, they wanted to be heard. Yeah, and this is they the did. thing... That I, I had a long conversation with my father about this this morning because, um, you know, he, they live out in the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, and of course, it was... I don't know that people here in the South... I'm in Nashville. You're in Texas. I don't know that a lot of people really know the story, you know? I feel like stories like this, of course, get don't get a lot of the mainstream media. And then when they the media that they, they do get is really handled by the powers that be because they're trying to spin their own story. And... I mean, politics in general, I feel, are like that. And I said to my dad this morning, I've actually, believe it or not, when I've told a few people that you and I were going to talk, and I got warnings from some people. Really? I did. Me, my little old podcast. I got warnings about talking to you and getting this story. And I said, well, I think it's an important story for people to hear. And I was basically told that, that you know, that could go very badly for me. And I said, well, that's, that's fine. You know, I'm okay with that. So that being said, I think this is what I said to my dad this morning is that I think there is some, we are taught from very young that there are the people in charge and the sheriffs and the FBI and the, and our politicians and all these people are supposed to be good. They're supposed to be there for us and support us and all about us. But the problem is we're still dealing with human beings and 80%, 90% of these people may in fact really want to make a difference and be supportive and loving and wonderful, but there is still the element that aren't like that. And there are corruption, you know, there's corruption in politics, there's corruption in the police force, there's corruption in the FBI, there's corruption in the CIA. It's, it's would be ridiculous to assume otherwise. And when it comes to money and power and control, those people, unfortunately, I mean, that's pretty much why we came to America in the first place, was to escape all that stuff. And guess what? We bring it with us. It's so true. 
true. We do. We we have. It's like if you don't pay attention to history, it will repeat itself. And as it does over and over and over again. And before we get to that moment, which again, I appreciate you talking about it because I my father and I are so close and I can't even wrap my head around what that feels like for you and your family. And I really enjoyed watching the videos of your dad because I mean, he's a true cowboy. Like he's a true American. I mean, not to be cliche and silly about it, but he was just a stand up guy. Yeah. So it does not surprise me that he would say something to the effect of, you know, I'm crossing the Rubicon because I think he knew deep down that it was so important. It sucks. It sucks when people like that die, but it seems like that's just freaking always the way, isn't it? It's in the people in history who have stood up against corruption or something that's wrong pay the ultimate price. Yeah. And it's, we have so many people that know things are wrong, but they don't want to be the first one that stands up because the first ones that stand up usually get hit the hardest. They do. Yeah. Civil rights, civil rights leaders. This is the thing. I mean, the powers that be, and again, I'm not speaking disparagingly against people who are good and true and are still doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. Unfortunately, the bad elements within government or whatever corrupt make everything seem corrupt and now we're at a point in society where you're thinking god who do i trust period oh my gosh it's so hard and my one answer that i've come up with is well god does teach us you're not supposed to trust in the arm of flesh but you have to make you can't let it make you turn cynical i guess right and it's it's scary because it's like people that I thought were my good friends turn around and then stab you in the back and you're like, oh, that didn't feel very good. And Well, I imagine it's, it's scary. And it's my dad brought up another point this morning, too. He said, well, you know, unfortunately, you can't you can't trust anything anymore. At all. You can't trust what this guy says versus what that guy says. You, you can't trust what's written here versus what's written there. It's truly everything you go through in life is solely up to you to Mm -hmm. ascertain the information. But it's pretty hard not to go through this entire story from the Hammond family through the Bundy family to your family and not see that there is some shady, shady stuff going down. Oh, it's so apparent. It's so apparent. And it's like, and you don't want to believe that your own government would do that. You don't, like, before I went up to Oregon, I still wanted, like, there's part of me that was like, you know, maybe, maybe they did feel like that was their only recourse, that they had to shoot my dad. And then I get up there, and I look at the place where they killed him, and they set it up. Less than a quarter mile, there was this huge, long stretch of road that was completely open, where you could have done an incredibly safe, incredibly safe stop, but they didn't. They purposely didn't. No, it I was felt, like, watching the video, it felt like an a- ambush. I, I mean, again, my personal opinion, it looked like an ambush. I, the video that was released to the mainstream media, of course, didn't show. It, that stuff is, is purposefully 
not doctored, but just the angles, everything is done in a certain way. But then if you watch from inside the actual vehicle, you hear everything your dad is saying, what they're all saying to each other inside the vehicle, how scared they are. They're not shooting back. They're just trying to get to a safe spot. Yeah. They're just, and they're, he's yelling, you know, let's talk about this in front of the sheriff. He's screaming mm -hmm. it. They, I know that they can, that the, the people that are chasing them, the, the state patrol can hear them because when they yell state who you are, they answer. So they, they're, they're heard and all that stuff. And watching whew, that moment when your dad draws the fire away because y'all, you know, they're all being shot at. He runs out of the car with his hands up, out of the truck with his hands up. And yeah, he's in snow that is so deep. And anyone who's walked in snow that's four inches deep knows how clumsy one gets walking in it. And there's this moment right before he's shot and he's he kind of falters. You can see his leg go into the snow and it, it brings, as it would, it brings his arms down as he's trying to like catch himself and that's when they start shooting. There was no reason to shoot him. He came out with his hands up. That should have def that should have just stopped everything. It was clear that they didn't have weapons. There were little children in the car. Not that I'm not saying that people don't use kids as weaponry too. There have been instances obviously where where the standoffs get ugly because children are used as shields or they have weapons themselves or whatever, but that had not been the case here and not only had it not been in the case in that moment, but in the history of this entire story, it wasn't yeah. the case. And these are people with guns. I mean, ranchers have guns. Of course they do. They, they live in hostile territories where it comes to wild animals and things. They have to protect their land. And ugh, it's just such a crazy story. I don't know how. I don't. It's. I just, I don't know. And I wanted to talk to you so much because I just feel like people don't, they don't know the details. The surface story of this isn't enough. No, it isn't, especially when the media has painted it so badly. Yeah. So that one, the guy that lied, the FBI agent, he is, he's being, he's been indicted. And there's more stuff coming out all the time. Is there no, there's lawsuits. Your mom has a wrongful death lawsuit against the Oregon State. Um, Oregon State and um, FBI. Yeah. Yeah, so she's she has that, and now there's a separate one that the government's doing against themselves for the agent. See, I find that interesting, too, because if you're an agency that's, that's trying to weed out a few corrupt people, how can you use the same agency to weed out the corruption Exactly. You have basically the government trying itself. Like, that just sounds bogus. Yeah, it doesn't and, really make a lot of sense. No. But I know that's how they do it in the military as well, and in the police force. I mean, I think that's just... I don't know. It, it just makes me so nervous. The corruption is, is seemingly... And I, I don't mean to be a pessimist about it, but I don't want to be a Pollyanna either. I just think it's so important to ask questions and to not yeah. not to, to just blindly believe that people have your best interest at heart because they have, you know, a shiny star on their chest. Yeah, it's like this country was founded on the principle that you have to be willing to self-govern yourself, which means 
questioning those who you elect to, I guess, lead over you. And like these positions, like in politics and stuff, they weren't meant to be lifetime positions. They were meant to be like, you go in and you serve your country and then you come back out and you continue on with whatever profession you were doing before. And now you have people who basically from the cradle are raised to be politicians. And it's like, that was not how it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a service that you did because you live in a free country and it's your job to step up and serve your country. And now it's, you make really good money being a politician. So is the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, is that a, um, is that voted on by the people or is that an internal? Internal. See, I think that's got, interesting. Yeah, so what has happened in the West is that when states entered the ter- or entered the Union, they were supposed to be given back all the land because the federal government can control territories. But once they become states, all the land, every last square inch was given back to the states. And if the federal government needed it for like a fort or something, they were supposed to purchase it from the states if the states allowed it. But as like, if you look at a map, they kind of did it in the East Coast and then they did mostly in the mid mid section, but then West Coast, they own 80% of it. 80% of it, they did not give back. And on this land... Now, are we talking like um, like uh, national parks, or what does that mean exactly? Or is that for their own use? It's all of that. You've got the national parks. You've got um, public land that should be, you know, state public land, not government public land. And um, on this land, they make the laws. They set the laws and the regulations. They put in people to run them. And then if you mess up in those areas, they try you. That is all three branches of power combined into one, which is what the founding fathers had separated on purpose. No, I know, but they're not elected officials. These are people that are with it. Yeah, they have, they do not answer to the people. They answer to the federal government. If you aren't walking the line for them to come down on you and like just ruin your life. And it's just, it is, um, it is difficult to, I guess, grasp because it's why, why do they do that? Well, I think Standing Rock was a perfect example of, of this. And to me, as I was reading about your dad and this, the, the whole history, I kept thinking, because I'm, I'm learning of it more now, right? And then I'm thinking, well, gosh, this sounds so much like what was going on in Standing Rock, where these people are standing up saying, no, you don't get to come in and sell off our land to private people who want to mine it. That's not okay. That's not what it, the point. That was not the intention. They said, all right, everyone, come on. We need to fill these territories up with people. You get to come mm-hmm. get your land. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said to my dad this morning, it seems to me in all things whether it's pharmaceutical, governmental, you know, whatever it is, follow the money because money corrupts. It does. It really, it's... There's copper in this land. There's uranium in this land. There's a lot of stuff that people want. People with a lot of money who want to make more money. People with a lot of power. And the funny thing is, is 
it makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist. And I think it's funny because that is this like horrible thing, like, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, well, is it a conspiracy if it turns out to be true? Or is that being aware? <laughs> because sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I sound crazy. Like, um, but I think that's ever... the point. I think they want you to sound crazy. I think that benefits the people in power. If if the underdog sounds like a lunatic, that mm-hmm. only the you know it helps keep the underdog down. Yeah, it's. Have you ever watched the TV show Bones? Yeah. Yeah. So the day I found out, the day my dad died, um, I was watching it, and towards the end, there's like this huge FBI conspiracy thing. Where, you know, the good guys are getting framed and, you know, it's just this huge conspiracy thing. And then I get all these, my phone starts blowing up and I'm like reading these texts. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I've been watching too much TV because I'm like, you know, I'm thinking crazy thoughts like, oh no, the government just, you know, plotting something. And then it wasn't, they actually had plotted and they had killed my dad. And it was like, we watch all these shows, but then we're like, we don't believe it's possible. Yeah. We don't, like, how can you not believe it's possible? It's... Look at our government now. <laughs> I know. It's so crazy. And the crazy part to me is we worship shows like The Hunger Games, um, Lord style. of the... Yeah. Um, what's another... Uh, Star Wars, Brave, Braveheart. It's like all these shows were like, man, they stood up for their freedom. But then when people actually stand up, we're like, oh, you should have listened to the government. Well, it's interesting because your father was quite articulate. Um, He didn't back down. He knew his own mind. That's a very terrifying thing to someone who... uh, doesn't want anyone with logic to, to speak out. You know what I mean? They don't, that's a very persuasive person. I think your father was truly persuasive, just like the Martin Luther Kings of the world, or you know, even the Malcolm X's of the world, or whatever, or the, the John Lennon's of the world, or anyone who knew their mind and was not afraid to speak out regardless. That's yeah. a, that puts a giant target on them. It does. But like, if you don't follow the masses, you stand up someone's gonna target you someone you will always be targeted and i think people are scared people are scared of the of our government people are scared of the corruption i think oh they are i think they're waking up but i mean if little me got some threatening commentary then i think that says a lot and it was that crazy you're like wait who am i that you're threatening me like like when i get threats i'm like I'm no one. I'm just a mom of four little beautiful children who wants to teach about the Constitution. And when I did my tour, I've done a couple of them now. Um, it was amazing how many people were afraid. Grown men afraid to stand up because they didn't want the target on them. And their reasoning was, you know, well, I have kids, you know, I have kids or I have a job like I can't. Like, I can't do that. Sure. And it's like, no, because you have kids, you should be doing this. You know, but it's it takes a particular kind of person, too. I mean, I understand that perspective as well. Other other people that are afraid for their families or for their ranch or, or for, you know, whatever it is, um, 
that that fear is what it lets the people who are in control keep control exactly fear is very powerful and and, and i get it because i struggle with it all the time sure because i'm like all i want to do is be a mom like i just want and it is so easy nowadays for you to lose your children for Mm. whatever reason they will they can find it and you can lose them and to me that is so scary i'm like well if i keep talking are they gonna like you know hit me where it would hurt and it's like you know well part of me is like okay i just want to like shut up and sit down and has anyone threatened you yeah yeah what threats have you gotten i've gotten many death threats really Uh, yeah who do you think they're who do you think they're from um there was a couple different like groups there was opposing militia honestly it feels like informants to me um i had like and across the events that i did i had security people that looked into it and made sure everything was okay but i mean i get them i get the nasty trolls on facebook where i'm just like yeah i'm pretty sure you're paid just to be mean to people and um it's you know militia militia is an interesting word and i came across it several times in researching for this conversation and i think that mainstream media as as i as well uh, before reading some of this stuff when you think when i i shouldn't say you i mean the royal you when a person hears the word militia they immediately think lunatic racists with guns who want to you know shoot at police and fbi and Make all yeah. the baby make all the babies white. So that's basically in my mind. That's always sort of what I've thought of as militia. That's what, and in this suddenly I'm reading about other kinds of militia, and I was like, wait, there's there's more than one kind of militia. I didn't know that. So will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I didn't know really about militias. I had kind of the same uh, perspective as you before my dad or after. Before my dad died. Afterwards, you know, then I had all these people from militia groups like, what can we do to help? You know, we did this fundraiser for your family. Here's some donations, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, whoa, there's some good guys. And it's funny because my security and all my things are provided by different militia groups, whether it's Oath Keepers, Three Percenters. And these are like good people that you want in your community. They're, um, they're doing fundraisers to help like with the local food banks. They do like big brother activities. They, they get involved in their communities and then they'll teach like prep things. Like this is how you store food. If this disaster happens, here's what you do. And, and they we're will- not talking about like white hate groups. We're talking about people that are, are like I read about constitutional, the Oath Keepers, they're constitutional militia, right? They're the ones that to be an oath keeper, you have had to have served military or law enforcement. So all these oath keepers have served our country. They have either been law enforcement or military. They respect our government. They don't want to destroy it. And they one just of the things to- I watched, it was a guy, I wrote it down here. Um, I watched a video, uh, let's see, his name was, I thought it, was a, it was on a show called InfoWars. Yeah, Alex Jones. Is- yeah, so, um, and this guy was talking about um, how there were Oath Keepers that went back to the scene of where your father uh, was killed, and 
they dug in, like they actually started researching it themselves, doing an internal investigation. And some of the oath, there was a, an oath keeper that had sent in uh, paperwork that highlighted the rules of engagement for, uh, uh, what do you call it, the stopping, what, um, the, what's it called when you have to stop a car? Um, blockade. That the rules of engagement for a blockade is, as you said, needs to be on a straightaway unless, unless those they're in pursuit of are armed felons or have had a history of violence, which your father did not. And as you said, the blockade was around a blind corner. And you can see your dad in the video swerving dramatically to not hit it, nor to hit somebody that leapt out at, the, at his car. He swerved extra to avoid hurting anyone. And so this Oath Keeper had sent in this paperwork to the info to the Alex Jones show and, and highlighted the laws in Oregon State of what, it, what a blockade is, what the requirements are legally and all that kind of stuff. So clearly some rules were definitely being ignored. Some laws were being ignored. Yeah, it, it was. And we've had multiple people, senators from different states, you know, people who are like, that was a wrong like that was completely wrong um and we've i've had people who it during their military or law enforcement days had set up and it was for people who were murderers and it wasn't for a peaceful stop that was a hard stop and they expected you know something to happen and the thing is they've showed our country a video of them doing it yet they've still pretty much gotten away with it so far and it's insane that to want to do something right, what you feel is right, you, you are afraid. Why is it that you wanted to interview me and you're getting threatened? There's nothing wrong. That's our you know, First Amendment right there. Absolutely. And to interview you without an opinion, I was told to not, you know, that I should probably come at it and be just ask questions and not have an opinion. But I, I do have an opinion and I'm okay with that. You know? Well, we need more people like you. Well. Truly, truly, it's... We need more people who are not afraid. And that, regardless of the consequences, are willing to do what they know is right. Um, so really, I do take my hat off to you. Because it is people like you who give me and my family hope because we can scream it from the rooftops but until more americans are willing to put their fear aside and do what is right regardless of the consequences nothing will change and people will continue to lose their lives and their livelihoods and be wrongfully imprisoned and the moment you are you make a decision based off of pros and cons you are no longer standing on principle and we need more principled people who just do what is right regardless of the consequences so thank you i agree with you well thank you i i appreciate you saying that it was it's very important to me um yeah you know i feel like things the tides are turning it seems to me that People are starting to speak up regardless. They're, they, people are waking up. 
which is good, you know? It's a good thing. Your father, I think because he was a man of principle who did not fear, you know, dying. Yeah. I think Freedom. he knew. Honestly, watching that video, I think he knew the outcome of that drive. I think he was fully aware of what was going to happen next. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he hoped for the best, but he was prepared for the worst. Right. Now, isn't there a, um, you spoke about people going to jail, and I know there have been people imprisoned over this whole story from start to finish, from the Hammonds through the Bundys to, through your family. Um, and and I, the Alex Jones, was his name David Knight? Is that what the guy's name is? The, the guy that is the, the bearded man that is on that show? I am unsure. Okay, well, anyway, he um, said that, that, or maybe it was a different, I've watched so many videos of this, they're sort of all smushing together, but it might have been somebody else that said this, but, um, and I apologize for getting it wrong, uh, but they said that a uh, journalist was imprisoned and is oh, still yeah. imprisoned. So he's somebody that wasn't even really a part of the situation, was just reporting it. Mm-hmm. So who is this? His name is Pete Santilli, and he was just a reporter there, and he was a supportive reporter. He supported what they were doing, but he literally was just there to report. He would come on, get the news, and come off, just like all the other reporters there, mm-hmm. and they imprisoned him. And he's still it. in prison, correct, but no charges have been filed? Yeah, like... He's still in prison, and last time I heard, there had been no charges filed against him. Which like, is that weird. constitutionally illegal? I, from last I looked, I think. Constitution. Pardon? That is, that is against the Constitution, but because of the Patriot Act and things like that, yes. they can terrorists and hold you indefinitely with no charges. Right. And basically lose all your rights. That's their loophole. Yes, that's their loophole. Yeah. And... Yeah, that is a terrible... Like, you almost feel unpatriotic if you don't support the Patriot Act, but it is a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah. And, and again, I encourage my listeners, you know, learn about this stuff. It's, the, it's so important. Whatever side you end up falling on is up to you. That's a personal choice. But to not have knowledge... There, there are people in power, I feel like, that count on the fact that that there are those that we the people uh don't know anything (laughs) you know they're they're counting on us not knowing anything well they have made it so difficult like the laws they'll be like oh yeah we're passing the health care act but then in this act there are like thousands yeah Things where it's like, oh, we thought it was healthcare, but now it's talking about something completely different. Yeah, and it's they sneak like... a lot of stuff in. They were, yeah. I, I watched, I binge watched uh, the show. Um, uh, oh, what's it called? The one about the when Martin Sheen was president on that show. Uh, oh, what's it called? The West Wing. I binge watched The West Wing, and I swear to God, I learned more about politics and our government watching the seven seasons of that show. Because Aaron Sorkin is a brilliant man. 
He was the writer for that show and the creator. But I learned more about our government and about all those different little nuances about passing bills and all that stuff in watching those seven seasons than I did in my, you know, three months of civics class in ninth grade. And I, <laughs> I've learned more off of TV shows and YouTube than my whole collegiate career combined. Yeah. Like, down. And it's like, why aren't we learning this stuff and it's by design it truly is i had a conversation with a with a um a history teacher in a very from a very small town uh up in kentucky and we had breakfast he and, and his girlfriend and i had breakfast and i said i have a question for you you're a history teacher you're supposed to be teaching history and government and stuff i said but from my recollection of ninth and tenth grade history and civics he didn't learn anything. Like, I've learned way more on my own. And he said, yeah, it's very white-centric. It's very, we control what you learn. I mean, he was totally, you know, off the record with it. It's like, I'm not going to say his name. But, you know, he basically said they're given a curriculum and that's what they teach. The tiniest amount that's certainly catered to whatever agenda they want yeah. And I don't know why that's so surprising, nor do I understand why people consider that conspiratorial. It makes perfect sense to me. Why, if I'm in power, would I would not want to stay in power, especially if I'm getting wealthy or land or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, it's, it makes complete sense. It's just that ingrained in us that we, you know, people are looking out to help us. Yeah. It's like you can't power corrupts. Absolutely. It so does. It is a very intoxicating feeling. It is like Absolutely. Um I'm a very competitive person and I'm very like I like being the best. And I can remember just like, you know, different times where like I was the one in charge or I was the one that was like the best or whatever and that feeling was so like euphoric almost and it's like and I could see it like almost instantly to where I was like well I want more like that feels great I, I want more and it's almost it feels like a high mm. like and it's like a drug to your brain where it's like well once you get that feeling you want more of it but you have to have more power or more success to have that same feeling and some people aren't wired that way, but I am a total like A type personality where I get that, and I have to with myself keep myself in check with yeah. my little bit of power that I have. Right? Can you someone with my personality being in charge of a country? Right. Like, oh my gosh! And then to know that in four years that was going to be gone, like that would be almost yeah. I could see how people during that can get corrupted easy mm -hmm. and again the bottom line is we're human beings that's it's so yeah. important to remember that so you have an ideology you go in you think i'm gonna save the world you're still human, human. and that can break like, down like you can be threatened like you can be coerced through fear you can be coerced through um incentives like we all have weaknesses sure and it doesn't make you a bad person that you have weaknesses. It just, it does make you just human. Yeah. And you have to be so careful because you 
you let fear rule you for one day or one second and all of a sudden you can be trapped right and where you have to do whatever someone else tells you to do and you could still be a good person it might be your family you're trying to protect like whatever it is it's so easy and so for people like oh you're just crazy conspiracy it's like no you know you know how simple this is like you've seen the history movies yeah every we all know it's happened so why is it so hard to believe it's happening now right and I think you make a really valid point when you say you know the complications of conspiracy theories when it's actually not it's not complicated at all it's the most simplistic answer always it's always the most simplistic the base of who we are it's whether we operate out of fear or love and even hate is just fear there's really only two traits you know whether how we feel about ourselves or how we feel about others. Regardless of how you, like, if you felt that the wildlife refuge standoff or occupation was wrong or right, it all comes down to, well, the government handled it wrong. Yeah. And the same with Standing Rock. They handled it wrong, whether you agree or disagree with it. And we have laws. We have a constitution in place to protect us from that, to where... Whether we think it's right or wrong, they still get a trial by jury of their peers. And they deprived my dad that. They, it's just inappropriate. They're depriving other people of that as well, that like the journalists. Yeah, peace until it, like, in our constitution, it talks about how the accused have a right to a speedy and fair trial. Because when you drag out trials, that is so expensive. Lawyer fees go through the roof. That's intentional, and I feel like. I mean, they if they can it is, drain it, if they can drain the family of finances, which is I think what was happening with the Hammonds in the very beginning. Oh yeah. Ranchers aren't rich people. You do not make money ranching. You do it because you love it. It's, it's in your family. It's it's who you are. Your heritage. And it's like these people are fighting it because of the principle of it. And it's like, they don't want to not fight it, and so they are going into debt. They are selling off all this stuff, where it would be easier to be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's fine. They would be a lot better off financially, but because of their principles and their morals, they, they can't just say, well, that's okay, I guess. Well, also, if the people that are fighting, if, if they are forced to sell off land, then the people they're fighting win in the end anyway, because if they push yep. out the trials and they push out the... If everything, you know, keeps going to trial, and you were saying that some of these families have been fighting the BLM forever, mm-hmm. and it takes like, its toll financially, and but the end game, if the end game of the BLM is to get the land in the first place, then it's, it's a brilliant strategy, really. It's the same strategy that was used by Europe in many cases, you know? I mean... It's, um, like, I've... I've seen the Bundy wives, you know, sell off their husband's truck or sell off their work equipment because they're trying to just, you know, pay all these attorney fees. And it's like slowly but surely, it almost feels like they're still getting what they want. Yeah. And it, it's so, it's just so heartbreaking. But like. What happens been, next for you? What, what do you, what is your plan? Mine? Mm. Personally or families? Both. Um. Well, right now my mom is doing a lot of research 
trying to get like um, the right lawyer on our case. We went through one. Not really favor. We don't really like him, so we got rid of him. Um, and so we're looking into lawyers. And my mom's working mostly on that. She's also fighting. She has a separate law case against the BLM because the BLM. They have a regulation that states, you know, in the death of a permittee, you have two years to use it while you settle any disputes. And instead of giving her that two-year period, they told her she couldn't put the cows back on our ranch. And so... Which is illegal, six- right? They, they're basically saying they're, they're taking away a right that she has by law. She has that two-year per- permit after your father died that she still gets to use. I'm just trying to explain to the people listening. She still gets to graze the cattle... It's called, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, what do you call so my, it? Grazing, my, grazing rights. Yeah. And so on our allotment, my dad had fired the BLM. And you could probably watch his videos where he fires the BLM and they had given him fees. Well, when he died, they're like, well, you have to pay the fees before you can put the cows back on. Like, they didn't wait very long after my dad died before they were hassling my mom. And then, like, well, actually, we don't recognize you because your name isn't on the permit thing. And my mom's like, well, it's a common law state. My name's on the loan. That's just dumb. And they just put it through, like, loop, like, circle after circle after circle after circle saying, well, do this, do this, do this. And then it got to the point where my mom finally was like, fine, here's the $12,000 to pay the fees. I'm putting my cows on. We were in the middle of the cattle drive. It's a three-day cattle drive. At our first stop, we were just bunking down. I was at, we're there with my kids and here comes my grandma trucking up the lane and it's like, hey, they said if you put your cows out there, they'll take you to jail. So and she's like, what a cattle I, drive is. You have to, to, to feed the cows, you take them from one spot to another and it's, it's a journey that takes a few days, it takes a lot of hands and explain that. So, um, my parents' allotment, it's, I think, an eight-year or eight-month allotment. So you can graze it for eight months. And, um, and then for the other four months, you have to do put them on a different range. Well, the most efficient way, I guess, to do it is to move them by cows. So you'll have probably five to ten riders who basically move the cows. And cows that move so stinking slow. Like, I think the first day, it's like a 13-mile drive, and you're you're in that saddle for a good, I don't know, 8 to 12 hours. It's, it's not fun. It's, <laughs> it's fun, but it's not fun. Um, Hard work. I've been, on, I've been on horses for a few hours, and your ass hurts afterwards. <laughs> it so does. You're like, man, can I get a saddle with a little more padding, please? And it's like... You, you have to do that for three days before you can push them onto your property. And so you're going through other people's property while you're doing it, and you get permission and everything like that. So we're on the first leg of this journey when that happens. And it was, like, it was just crushing because it was, like, my mom felt terrible because she's, like, you know, I just, like, my husband stood up for this, and then I paid them, and then they wouldn't even take the money. And then they were, like, well, we'll put you in jail if you do it. So my mom, we had to truck, um, semi-haul all the cows off. And 
it costs about $6,000 a month in feed because she had to buy feed and feed them in a lot. Instead and, of letting them graze naturally along the journey. Yeah, and on top of that, she's still having to pay the loan on the thing that they bought. So wait, she's having to feed them, bag feed them, because the journey that you guys were going on, the end stage, they were going to be able to graze naturally, where yeah. they were headed toward three days down the pike. Yeah, that was the natural grazing that, that she had permittable rights to by yeah, law. She, but then the BML, BLM said, nope, sorry, we changed our mind. Yep. And what did they cite as the reason for changing their mind? She has to file this paperwork. And she's like, well, I filed it. Oh, well, you have to refile it because something was not right. And it was like one bogus answer after another. And then our lawyers were like, hey, but this regulation says you have to give her two years without interrupting the use of the permit. They're like, well, we just don't do it that way. And the lawyer's like, you can't pick and choose which regulations you follow. And that's when he was like, you need to, you need to sue them because either that or you need to just, when they say jump, ask out high. So my mom's suing them. And this poor, this poor lady. One person up against a government agency. It's, it's not, it's not, that's, that's Sisyphean. It's David and Goliath. It's all of that. It is. It's like, cause they have unlimited resources and power. And here's this woman who lost her breadwinner. They lost their income. And she's taking on three separate government agencies in these lawsuits. You're taking on the FBI, the Oregon State Troopers, and BLM. And she, she like has no income. And it's like, by faith, she just keeps going. And I don't know how she does it because, I mean, I'm still, like, I haven't started my grieving process. I just can't do that yet, even though it's been, like, a year and a half. And, like, but she lost her partner in life. She lost him. And, like, what do you... And then, on top of that, she has to do all this. On top of that, she's running around the country telling people about Dad, teaching about the Constitution. I don't know how she does it. It's truly incredible. Yeah, strong woman. You, uh, which I mean, and under understandably, I don't think your father would have married a weak woman. <laughs> um, you had said that your father said to the BLM, I'm not paying this. But I think more specifically, it's not that he stopped. He said, I'm going to pay the, the United States of America these fees. I'm not going to pay this branch the fees is that right what what was that about no so, so he said i he basically fired the bailout it's like i don't need your help right my ranch i'm more than capable and instead of paying fees to blm he paid the fees to the state because it should be state land so he still paid his fees people are like oh he didn't pay his taxes no all of his taxes were paid it was just those grazing fees and he paid them but to the state and so, I mean, he paid them. So they, what did this, did the state turn around and, and then give it back to the BLM or whatever? Or did they keep it or what happened? I, I have no clue what they did with it. Hmm. Like. So that's interesting uh, too. That's a, yeah, I kind of want to know what they did. 
That money had to go somewhere, and, and and technically, if your father paid the money to the state and said, this is for this, then if the state was operating on the up and up, regardless of your father's wishes, if it goes to the BLM, then the state would then, in turn, pay the BLM. No questions. You know what I mean? It would just go another step, but it would still happen. So I'd like to know what happened to that money that he paid to the yeah. state. Me too. That's a really good question. Because it went somewhere. Uh, it had to have gone somewhere. It doesn't just disappear. So that might um, be a, a rock to look under, you know? Yeah. I wonder, because I believe Clive and Bundy's family does the same thing and pays it to the state. That's correct. That's what I've read. I mean, I can't speak for... I'm, this is all based on all the research I've done, and I'm sure I've gotten some things wrong, but I've tried to, I've tried to look at all sides as best I can. Yeah, I'll have to maybe ask Carol and my mom and be like, hey, like, does the state accept it? What is it? And, and where does I'll that money go? I... Right, because technically, if the state accepted it and didn't give it back to the BLM, then there's a question mark there. Because that means the BLM would have gotten the money, and so it shouldn't have an issue. Cheers. Yeah, I agree. If I'm if I'm a government worker in the, for the state and I get a check from your father for six thousand dollars and it's for grazing rights and the note says I didn't want to pay the BLM I'm paying you I and I work for the state and I know that well that's not really a state thing for whatever reason because of these laws then I'll just send it right back to the BLM technically that means the BLM would have gotten their money and your mother is now paid twice if that's the case so yeah it, um. There, for a year, I think it's only $1,200. The only reason he didn't pay it was because of the principal, because $1,200. I understand. So but I'm just saying that if he did, he sent a check to someone, and if that someone didn't in turn put it in the right place, then there's, there, there's a big question mark there. I would say, again, always follow the money. Yeah. That's, yeah. It seems important. Um, your dad wrote a book called Only by Blood and Suffering. And that's available on Amazon, and it's a work of fiction, correct? But there is a lot of um, parallel in real life going on in that book. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and the, it's it's honestly so crazy how much parallel is going on. Like the book starts the day after he died. Like it was January twenty seventh was the first um, day in the book. Crazy, right? That gives me the shivers. I know it was. Like, and there's just things again and again where, like, oh, my gosh, that's that's crazy. And um, he wrote it because Americans need to be entertained for them to learn anything these days. So he did it in a fun way. But it made you think, like, well, what would I do? And just because the characters did something, he didn't necessarily think it was right or wrong. He just – and he wanted people to think, well – would I do that in this situation? Or what would I do in this situation? And there's quite a few like dilemmas throughout the book where it's like, well, what would you do? Right. Like, and it kind of teaches you like what could happen if an EMP hits, you know, and well, what do you need to be prepared just in case? I explain what an EMP is. EMP is an electrical basically bomb that goes off and shuts down all things electric. And so your cars, your stones. Yeah, they talk about that in prepared. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's like, well, you know, do you have a plan if that happens? Like, 
how fast do grocery stores get emptied out when there's like a tornado or a flood? It's like almost instantly. And it's like, well, what if that happened? Even if it's a low scale disaster, are you prepared? In Nashville, all you have to say on the the news is that we may get snow and suddenly all the food is missing from the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) Like there may be snow, especially like in the Northern states. And it's like, boom, store's gone. And people are like, oh, that's not going to happen. And it's like, it happens all the time. Yeah. Sure. All the time. And it's, and so the book, it basically encourages you to get better prepared, whether that's getting right with God, spending more time with your family, you know, storing a, some extra food, whatever it is. And then it asks you, basically, it makes you wonder, well, what would I do in this moral situation when there's this moral dilemma? And that was something he wanted to do because he felt like he needed to do more for this country. And that's when he started writing the book because he knew he had to do more than what he was doing. Well, I'm going to put a link to the book, the Amazon link uh, on my website on HeyHumanPodcast.com so people can find it easily. Yeah. Um, Man, you know, I... Again, when I was talking to my dad this morning, he was said, you know, just make sure, you know, the... You just, you have this really sort of, well, what's your opinion? What's your opinion? And don't, I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. I have an opinion and it's okay that I have an opinion and it's okay if people listening have an opposite opinion of me and and, an opposite opinion of you, or if we don't agree on something or whatever, the point of it is to, to, to research it and research both sides and watch the videos and pay attention, not just here, this is a let's just say this is a microcosm of the macro you know just understand that in this world there is stuff going on that you should be aware of Mm -hmm. don't bury your head in the sand these are real people we're we are real people your father was a was a human being he was a real person yeah it's um it's easy to, to i guess disassociate or it's like oh this bombing happened. Oh, you know, we lost this troop in Iraq or whatever. And it's like, we're so desensitized that we don't realize, you know, we don't, I guess, internalize it. Like that could have been my dad. Like how devastating would you have been if it was your dad? And I had never really lost someone close to me at this point. I had lost two great grandmothers who like, it was, you know, their time. And it was sad, but it wasn't like a loss where this was my first real loss. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I just could, I still can't comprehend it to be honest. And like now I, I travel the country teaching about the constitution, teaching about my dad to like anyone basically who will listen. And I drug my kids around in a minivan. I have four kids. They're five, four, three, and two. They're little. They're little kids, and we, for a month straight in February, we traveled. I think we had 19 events in 22 days, mm-hmm. and it was insane, and it was amazing because so many people wanted to hear, Yeah. and there were people that didn't know about my dad. They just came because a friend told them to come, yeah. and people are waking up. They are. People, and that is... What needs to happen? That gives me hope. Where it's like, okay, I'll do it again. Because if there's just one more person, yeah. We and the other you know. thing is too, those of you who are in politics, those of you 
who are in government, those of you who are in the police force or the firemen or the priests or the pastors, you know, if, if you are a good person, if you are on the right side of humanity, stand up. Call out the people that are doing wrong by your fellow human. It's the only way things will get better. The only way that we will live up to being humanity. Being human isn't enough anymore. No. We have to be humanity. You know? Yeah, it's... Because I know there are good people in all of those places. I know in the BLM there are good people. I know people, I personally know people at the CDC and the FBI and the police force and firemen. I know great pastors and religious clergy and they're good human beings and they do good things and all they want in the world is goodness. But there are yeah. those who are not that. And all I'm saying is I hope, I pray that those on the side of good will stand up against those that are not. Because I guarantee a lot of them know stuff that's going on and they just stay quiet out of fear, like you said. It's, we can't be silent anymore. We truly cannot. I really, really appreciate you being on the show, Shalise. I mean, I'm gonna put um, links, like I said, on heyhumanpodcast.com for people to you know, watch some videos, hear what, what the story is, a link to your dad's book, um, you know, and hopefully we'll, we'll get the word out, educate some people, let them, I mean, people will make up their own mind and, and that's important. You know? Yes, it is. So, but thank you. Thank you very much. It was so great to meet you. You too. Have a, have a good afternoon and uh, keep fighting the good fight. I will. You as yeah. well. All right. We'll see ya. We'll see ya.